Hello. Welcome to episode 6 of the audio podcast, The Holocaust in Hungary, subtitled, It Can Happen Here. At this point, George has described the 437,400 Jews that have already been deported to Hungary. He steps back a little bit to assess how this could happen. Quote, When you read this book, or any other one that describes the Holocaust, the savage, inhumane torture of those people who had to die because they were Jews, or the other millions who belonged to other religions but were opposing the Nazi ideology, you must come to one conclusion. The guiltiness of the whole human race, and especially the leaders of those nations who could have acted to stop the massacre of millions, if they would have acted in the very beginning when the senseless killing started. They did not think about it seriously in the beginning because of an I-don't-care attitude or stupidity or lack of intelligence. But by the time their minds realized the facts, what was going on in Germany and the satellite countries, not much was left to help. It is why the human race should feel responsible and never forget the magnitude of the Holocaust. Of those 437,400 people who were deported to Auschwitz and Birkenau, Approximately 350,000 of them were killed in gas chambers or shot to death by machine guns. Can you imagine what those soldiers felt while shooting innocent people by the thousands? They took everything away from the victims. No wedding rings or earrings. They even had to take off their shoes and clothes. Men, women, children of all ages. Mothers were holding their few-month-old babies, crying, screaming, and begging for their lives. But no mercy was the Nazi style. Who were those people? Were they human beings or just bloodthirsty beasts in human shape and uniform? Can you imagine the feelings of those people who went through all the torture and humiliation and when the last door opened they were still hoping for freedom like they were told? I don't think any of us is capable to understand them and how they felt physically and spiritually. After they went through the last door and nobody came back to reveal their feelings. While the deportations continued in the provinces, in the capital of Hungary, SS officer Adolf Eichmann and his gang, working hand-in-hand with the Gestapo, started to work out a new plan for the deportation of Jews from Budapest. But it never materialized, because in the beginning of July 44, the region Admiral von Harthy put a stop to further deportations from the provinces. This order was triggered by protests of many religious leaders and the condemnation of the neutral European countries and strong protest by His Holiness Pope Pius XII. The Pope was not in a hurry to let the regent know how he feels about the mass deportation of Jews. He waited a whole month before he sent his first protesting letter to the regent von Horthy. Adolf Eichmann and his SS gang, working together with the Gestapo, had a perfect plan how to deport all the Jews from Budapest. He had the boxcars already lined up at the railroad station in the center of the capital. Since the ghetto was within walking distance from the station, he wanted to march the Jews right into the boxcars and transfer them to Auschwitz. Everything was worked out to detail when an unexpected move from Admiral von Horthy stopped all his efforts. To stop the deportations from Budapest, Admiral von Horthy ordered two divisions of military from the provinces to the capital to stop it before it started. Adolf Eichmann furiously contacted Berlin, but Hitler who already knew the situation and did not want to provoke a military confrontation with Hungary, ordered him to return to Berlin immediately. Eichmann and his SS unit left Budapest without any explanation. 
The Regent von Horthy explained his order to the Hungarian people, why he stopped all the deportation in Hungary. He pointed out that by his previous agreement with the Hitler regime, the deported Jews were going to work in factories and road repair. Since he was informed about the truth that the labor camps were concentration camps, for the purpose to destroy the Jewish population, he had to put a stop to it. Those Jews who had proof of Hungarian citizenship or any other exemption documents were confined to the ghettos in the provinces from now on. The next section is subtitled, More Restrictions for the Jews. In the capital, orders were issued day after day against the Jews. On April 1, 1944, a new order prohibited everyone from listening to any foreign radio programs except the satellite countries. That meant everybody. Disobeying that order was subject to fines and imprisonment. For Jews, imprisonment meant de deportation camps. The majority of the Jews who had radios took their set to the post office and had it sealed officially so no one could accuse them of listening to an enemy broadcast. Thousands of accusations were made at the Gestapo offices, though. Meanwhile, the Hungarian Nihilist Party formed a Hungarian Gestapo organization also. The head of the new organization was Peter Hain, H-A-I-N, a detective captain. They moved in right next door to the German Gestapo on Svabhegi Street on the western side of Budapest. If a Judah was accused of listening to an enemy broadcast, he was arrested immediately and kept in jail, all while the investigation continued. Although his radio was officially sealed, or he did not even have a radio, he was still put in jail or in a temporary camp to be deported later. The Regent von, von Horthy stopped the deportation, but his order did not cover anyone who was found guilty by any of the Gestapo organizations. Those were jailed and deported. In less than two months, more than 30,000 accusations were reported to the authorities against the Jews. From those who were accused and were investigated, no one returned home from jail. The next restriction order was announced on April 6, 1944. That order forbid the Jews to travel by any public transportation, private cars, motorcycles, buses, trains, or ships. On streetcars, they had to use the last unit. By the order of the chief of police, anyone who violated the order for wearing the armband with the yellow star in it will be fined and deported. Signs were posted on official buildings, libraries, and some houses in the ghetto, which called upon Hungarian citizens to consider it their duty to report any Jew who disobeyed to the nearest police station. The results of that was another huge wave of accusations flooding police stations and the Hungarian Gestapo. The same order requested all radios be registered and the Jews in prisons have to be transferred to temporary camps. Through a technical error, all the Jews who were in prison while under investigation of their cases were transferred and deported later. On April 21, 1944, a new order requested Jews to fill out a form and declare all their wealth, including money, stocks, gold, and jewelry. All these things had to be deposited in certain banks. They were given receipts, but these meant nothing later when the Nazi nihilist gangs robbed every bank. On April 21, 1944, the Secretary of Commerce ordered all Jewish businesses and stores to be closed immediately. The reason for the order, he said, was to stop the vandalization and robberies of the Jewish-owned stores.
But it happened the opposite way. From then on, all the Jewish-owned businesses were completely destroyed. The Secretary of Commerce promised the Jewish population that if they obey the laws and orders, no harm will come to anyone. The Jewish Council, which was formed by order of the government on April 27th to represent the Jewish population, received hundreds of complaints every day because of vandalizing and robbing of the Jewish-owned stores. In front of their headquarters on Sip Street, there were endless lines of people waiting their turn to fill out complaint papers. In front of the building of the Jewish Diocese on Wesselinie Street, people were also forming long lines for a different reason. They were signing up to be baptized. In a short time, more than a thousand Jews left their religion and were baptized in a different faith. Later the same year, many more thousands were baptized until the religious leaders started to argue over that procedure. They wanted to minimize or stop the further baptizing of Jews. Being baptized didn't gain too much favor for the Jews anyhow. No matter what their new religion was, they still belonged to the Jewish race, had to wear the yellow star, and were confined to the ghetto. The next section is titled, The Last Attempt to Save Lives. About the same time when the deportation stopped in Hungary, the War Refuge Board started to pay attention to the fate of the European Jews. The board urged the American diplomatic missions in all neutral station nations to request these countries increase their staff in Hungary. They were assuming that the German and Hungarian Nazi brutality would be inhibited by the presence of international observers. The International Red Cross was the first to receive the increase of its staff in Budapest. But to continue on, the mass deportation from Hungary alarmed the neutral European countries and they wanted to start some relief action. The War Refugee Board suggested it was, suggestion was received by the Swedish government also. They combined it with their own plan, which results would become apparent later on. The Jewish community in Budapest knew well now that their lives could end by deportation to the death camps. Although the Regent Admiral von Horthy stopped the mass deportation, it was still going on in the provinces and in the capital too only it was carried out on a smaller scale. The Gestapo was still hunting Jews who did not have Hungarian citizenship. In the provinces and in the capital, the Gestapo was arresting Jews because of crimes they were accused of but never committed. The police department and the Hungarian gendarmes poisoned by the Nazis willingly helped the Gestapo carry out their brutal actions. The Jews' only hope was to get help from the Western powers before the Nazis massacred all of them. The Jewish community leader in Budapest wanted to contact the Western powers or some other neutral nations to get help somehow to save hundreds of thousands of Jewish lives in Hungary. They were completely isolated from the outside world. They could not even listen to foreign broadcasts on the radio without jeopardizing their lives. They could not trust any outsider because most of the people were anxious to find reasons to send the Jews to concentration camps. There was only one person who proved in the past through his activities the way he saved Jews in the provinces and in the capital too that he could be trusted. His name was Joel Brand, B-R-A-N-D. He had been an official of the Jewish Relief and Rescue Committee of Budapest. He was helping Jews escape to Hungary from Poland and Czechoslovakia from the earlier Nazi terror, terror when Hungary was still a safe place for the Jews. After the German occupation of Hungary and the immediately threat, increasing threat of deportation, 
the Jewish Committee changed its tactics. Albert Gross, G-R-O-S-Z, established contact with Adolf Eichmann's subordinate, Dieter Visselini, in an attempt to buy the safety of the Hungarian Jews. Joel Brand, with the help of Hungarian intelligence, was able to travel places where ordinary citizens could not. He was a member of the underground organization in Budapest to fight the Nazi terror. He was trusted also by the Jewish committee, community and the Hungarian government, too. He did not fear for his life when he tried to save somebody. He never caused any harm or betrayed anybody. The Jewish Council decided to send him to Istanbul, Turkey, to contact Ambassador Steinhardt as the representative of the Jewish community in Budapest. In early 1944, by the influence of Albert Gross, Adolf Eichmann called a meeting with Joel Brand. In the meeting, he told Brand that he is ready to sell one million Jews. Joel Brand tried to convince Adolf Eichmann that the future deal with the Jews was just as important for the Third Reich as it was for the Jewish population. In May 1944, the German military was in very bad shape. Everybody knew that the war was lost. After the ugly defeat at Stalingrad and the entire Eastern Front at the Don River and the still continuous retreat from the fast advancing Red Army put a tremendous dent in the now defensive Wehrmacht forces. The Third Reich lost close to one and a half million from its military manpower and the decimation of the trucks and all kinds of war machines made the situation unbearable. When Eichmann was offered a deal, he tried to save his own neck and some other Nazis too. It never surfaced that the deal Eichmann was offering to Joel Brand was his own private decision or whether he did it by Hitler's order. Adolf Eichmann was very anxious to make a deal, to sell, like he said, Jews for money, money for blood. The most important part of the deal was the delivery of 10,000 trucks. He wanted tons and tons of food and other materials too. All the other things, except for the trucks, were negotiable. Adolf Eichmann accepted Joel Brand as the representative of the Jewish community in Budapest, and he agreed that Joel Brand will go to Istanbul to meet with the representatives of the Jewish Agency of Palestine. He gave his word that if his offer was accepted, he will close Auschwitz immediately and deliver 100,000 Jews to the border. He also gave his word that the 10,000 trucks would only be used on the Eastern Front against the Red Army. He agreed also to permit the exit of a limited number of Jews to Palestine and an unlimited number to Spain. He knew that Spain would accept only a limited number of Jews. Joel Brand was doubtful that the Western powers would agree and accept the proposed deal and give 10,000 trucks or other materials to the Nazis. His experience with the corrupt German officials convinced him that time could be gained by negotiations and time meant life for thousands of Jews. He hurried back to Budapest with the official authorization from the Jewish Central Council of Hungary. He was ready to leave. But before he left for Istanbul, he had a meeting with, on Wesselini Street headquarters. He also brought Albert Groves with him, who was going to accompany him to Istanbul by the order of Adolf Eichmann. Albert Groves was officially a spy for the Hungarian government. Since the underground was working together with Hungarian intelligence, we knew him very well. Like any other nation's agents, sometimes they had to act as double agents. Albert Gross did the same thing. He was traveling all over Europe and several times to England too. 
All those times, he was serving as a double agent, but he never betrayed the Hungarian government. Actually, he was fooling the Nazis. Without him, Joel Brand would never have been able to make any deal with Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann did not leave Budapest because of the Regent von Horthy's request, but he was called back by Hitler's special order. Due to the report, Albert Gross submitted to the German intelligence. He expressed his opinion about the deal and told us that Churchill and the British government will never accept it, and neither will the USA agree to it. He cited anti-Semitism as one of the biggest roadblocks in both countries. Joel Brand, accompanied by Albert Gross, departed for Istanbul in a German courier plane. On May 23rd, they met with the Istanbul representative of the Jewish Committee, and Brand presented Eichmann's offer, including his promise that the trucks would only be used against the Russians. From Istanbul, through diplomatic channels, Brand let the Hungarian intelligence know what was going on in Eichmann's deal proposal. Although the Jewish agency accepted the deal, he didn't believe that his mission in Istanbul was getting anywhere, and he was afraid the Jewish agency's representatives did not have the proper authority to take serious actions. Through the contract by the Jewish agency, Joel Brand and Gross met Ambassador Steinhardt on May 25th and presented Adolf Eichmann's offer to him. Steinhardt promised Brand to inform the State Department about their discussions on how to save thousands of Jewish lives. The same day the ambassador informed the State Department about his meeting with Joel Brand, he described the whole deal, the way it was presented to him, and mentioned that the Jewish agency in Istanbul accepted the deal already. His opinion of Joel Brand was very favorable, but talking about Albert Gross was a different story. He cited the American and British intelligence who regarded him as a Gestapo agent and completely unreliable. The American and British intelligence were very wrong when they called Albert Gross unreliable. The Americans knew nothing about Albert Gross anyhow, and the British just didn't want to deal with the Jews, even if 100,000 lives were at stake. Churchill and the British Parliament didn't like Jews anyhow, and they just started to find any reason to turn down the deal. First, they said it might split them from their Soviet ally. The German intelligence might leak the proposed deal to the Russians, and Stalin would accuse the Western powers of dealing with the Nazis behind his back. After that, the British government informed the State Department about their view regarding the Eichmann-Brand deal. They turned it down, saying that the British government didn't want to get involved in any blackmailing with Nazi Germany. Churchill left the door open, saying that any honest proposal involved in the rescue of lives would always be welcome. He recalled the British government's sympathy for the victims of Nazi Germany. The two-week deadline imposed by Eichmann was close to expiring, so Joel Brand started to look for other sources that might help his mission's outcome. He heard about Moshe Shertak, the most influential head of the Jewish agency's political department. Brand decided to make an attempt to meet Shertak in Aleppo, and if Shertak can't help, he decided to still try Palestine. The Jewish agency in Istanbul warned him that if he leaves Turkey, he would be subject to arrest by the British Secret Service, which condition did, did exist in neutral countries. Brand never backed out of dangerous situations before, so he decided to go anyway. He boarded a train for Aleppo, and when he arrived, it happened exactly the way he was told. The moment he stepped off the train, he was arrested by British Secret Service. Moshe Shertak, who heard about the Joel Brand and his mission, wanted to meet him in Istanbul, 
but the British authorities denied the travel permit. After Brand's arrest in Aleppo, Shurtok managed to get a travel permit from the British authorities and visited Brand while he was in custody. Brand told him about the deal with Eichmann and the importance of his immediate return to Budapest, which might stop or lessen the deportation of Hungarian Jews. Shurtok promised to do everything in his power to help him. The British government did not want to free Brand. He was classified as a troublemaker and they wanted to keep him out of circulation. He was kept in prison by the British for many months and he blamed himself for the massacre of the Hungarian Jews. There were more attempts made to save two million Jews, but it was turned down by British and American authorities. Stalin himself was opposing any proposal or deal with the Third Reich in an attempt to save lives. During Stalin's lifetime, he ordered the killing of almost 19 million people, including Jews. After the last plea to save thousands or millions of lives was turned down by the United States, Russia, and England, the last door of hope was permanently closed, and the remaining two million Jews were marked for extinction. For the begging, suffering, and tortured people, now another door opened, and through that door, they were forced into the gas chambers. This marks the end of Episode 6 of the book, The Holocaust in Hungary. Subtitled, It Can Happen Here. I'm your narrator. My name is Dale.